0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. Yeah, how y'all doing? Good? Man, I am so, so blessed to serve on, on this elder team um god has shaped and molded me so much by um putting these people inside of my life you know um, aaron wesh josh kyle um, dave um i've grown so much during my time fellowshipping with them it's it's incredible and we all have different backgrounds on different experiences in life and stuff and we all Model what we believe the gospel looks like, and laying all that stuff down to the gospel and stuff, without ignoring all that stuff, and then picking it back up and living the gospel out and stuff. And that's what it should look like, you know. So it's been um incredible to me. Another thing that's been incredible um was that journey that we went through through the book of Psalms. That was hot, man. It was yeah. dope. You know, it was cool because we went we took a break from how we normally preach, and we preach through it more meditatively, looking at the book of Psalms and going through certain select verses or books inside the book of Psalms, and now we're coming back to how we normally preach, and we're going into the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew. So, if you grab the Bible already, on put your finger on Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16, that's where we're going to be we camping out at. How many of you ever heard the term, a city on a hill? Pretty common term. You know, we've heard it tons of time. The term itself was put in the national spotlight during the end of Ronald Reagan's presidency. He was at the end of his presidency and then they was doing uh, one of those presidential speeches that was broadcasted For the entire nation, right? And he was talking about his last eight years in the office and how much he felt he had impacted the the country. And then what he did was, according to him, he um, quoted John Winthrop, right? Who was a, a Puritan and a governor at some point in time. But he quoted John Winthrop with the term, a city on a hill, right? So when he Quoted John when he said a city on a hill. Now, first of all, when you think about a city on a hill, you think about this place that's, that's raised up, that's not on ground level. So whenever you think the idea of a city on a hill, you think of something that's on a higher level than the rest of everything else. So that thing becomes a point of reference. You following me? Right? So that city of the hill becomes a point of reference because it's higher than everything else. It stands out compared to everything else, Right? So when Ronald Reagan used the term and when John Winthrop used the term, they were both talking about America, right? He was trying to cast vision for America and he said that he views America as that, that city on a hill. So for both of them, basically what they were saying is that they view America as the point of reference for the rest of the world, Right? That's basically what he was saying, that they view America as the point of reference, the city on a hill, the point of reference for the rest of the world. And America has adopted that same type of mindset. We view ourselves as the point of reference for the rest of the world. You know, we don't look at the rest of the world to get our cues. We view ourselves in our own arrogance and our own pride. We view ourselves as that city on the hill. But how many know that even though Reagan said he was quoting John Winthrop, that neither one of them was being original, they was quoting somebody else. Both of them was quoting Jesus, the one who actually said the term that they were actually quoting at that time. moment. Now, when Jesus said this term, guess what? He wasn't talking about America. He wasn't saying, in the future there will be this place called America. (laughs) That wasn't what was happening there. He wasn't talking about America. He wasn't talking about Rome. He wasn't talking about Egypt. He wasn't talking about any of the earthly kingdoms at that time. He was talking about the church. The church was that city on the hill that he was talking about. He was talking about the church, a community of believers proclaiming and displaying the kingdom of God both collectively and individually through all areas of life. This is who he's talking about here. They was displaying the kingdom of God where the rule and reign of Christ inspires the actions of the members of his kingdom. He's saying you are that city on the hill. So they, the church, was that point of reference. We, the church, are that point of reference. Today we're covering verses 13-13 through 16 verses 13 through 16 talks about the church's role in the world so I want to read those verses if you guys can stand with me so we can read those verses we stand because we want to honor the God that wrote those verses the God that predestined that we will be sitting here together going through those verses is acknowledging that he's in control and these are his words not ours And it reads like this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, we thank you for your goodness today, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you will plant your word deep into our hearts, Lord. That you will water it, cause it to grow and bear fruit, Lord. This is your service, and we are your people. And I pray that you will have your way as we walk through this text in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Maybe see there. All right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in at this, and I'm gonna pick up where Aaron left off at last week. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, when you watch the movie, and you're watching a series and then for the next week, what they do is start a little bit back where it was the like the carry you over, just in case you missed the last week, right? So I wanna start there. We're in the book of Matthew, right? And What's going on is, is Jesus, he was traveling through all these different areas like Galilee, the dysphoria, all these different areas. And what he was doing was he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and displaying the kingdom of God by healing people and casting out demons and things like that. So he was talking about the kingdom of God and, and his healing and this casting out demons. It was the first time that people have seen something like that happen. Right. They've been hearing about the kingdom of God for a minute because John the Baptist came and John the Baptist was talking about the kingdom of God. And now Christ is here and he's like, man, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Let me show you what it looks like in there. There is no sickness and in there there is no demonic possessions and he's he's casting out demons and he's healing people and word starts to spread all over about this guy that's 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 talking in such of a way that's commanding things and he is healing people and, and people are, are starting to bring their sick and they're bringing their lame and they're bringing their, their cousin Billy who's possessed, right? And Ray Ray and them. Like Ray Ray need to get delivered, he coming. <laughs> and they're bringing them and then, and so then Crowds and crowds of people start to pile up, right? And they start to follow him from place to place as the word continues to spread about what's going on here. And it gets to this point where there's like this large mass of people, this large crowd of people that has come together to see him. And then at this time and moment, what he does is he separates himself from the crowds by going up onto the mountain. Now when he separates himself and goes up on his mountain, the the disciples do the same thing. They just separate themselves too and they go up on the mountain after him. And the crowds, they stay ground level. Now once Jesus and the disciples put some space between them and the crowds, he turns his focus towards his disciples and he starts teaching them directly. That's when he goes into the Beatitudes, right? He gives them these politics of the kingdom. He goes into the Beatitudes and he he says, this is what it looks like to live inside of the kingdom. And and he's calling them blessed and he gives them these politics of the kingdom. The reason I wanted to backtrack and point out that he taught the Beatitudes first before this lesson of salt and light, because I felt it was intentional That that section followed right behind the Beatitudes. It means something specific here. In verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, he talks about this personal faith, right? This, This inward thing, this personal faith. Now, most of us probably heard these verses separated from each other thus disconnected from how they relate to one another. Most of the time we hear these verses, we hear somebody preach on this section right here, but somebody preach on that section over there, and then you forget that these are all part of one large story where he was preaching this one particular time on his mountain, and all of these things connected to each other and impacted each other in a particular way. One of the setbacks of Viewing the Bible through the lenses of these popular stories, these bits and chunks disconnected from the underlying stories surrounding these stories, is that we miss the context of the story, thus misunderstand the text itself. Then, in an attempt to be faithful, we walk in the misunderstanding and become unfaithful to the truth. Without even realizing it. We're wanting to be faithful, but we don't understand the context. So we're unfaithful to the truth of what is really being communicated here. So verses 1 and 2 talk about the, the values of this personal faith of the kingdom that leads into verses 13 and 16 where he talks about a public faith that affects and is seen by others displaying the kingdom. It's super easy to to just look at the Beatitudes and then all of a sudden find yourself there like, yeah, man, I'm killing it. I'm handling this. I'm doing it. But that's when you're looking at yourself disconnected from everything else. What he's saying is If you think living out the politics of the kingdom described in the beatitude preached on by Aaron last week is done, secluded from the tensions of this world, isolated from the brokenness of others, you're missing the point. You're missing it big time. Trying to walk out the beatitudes in isolation easily leads to self-righteousness. Easily. Easily. That's because you become your own tension point. You become your own measuring stick. It's like that dude that's like, yo, I can fight real good because I was in the gym boxing the punching bag, uh, 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 I even kicked it. <laughs> but dude ain't in no real fights though, right? Get socked up, son, like, hold on, <laughs> chill. <laughs> Everything is going out of control here. No, man. You got to know how to punch while somebody's swinging at you, right? (laughs) Punching bag don't do that. The reason that he follows the Beatitudes with a lesson on salt and light is because these policies of the kingdom govern not only our relationship with, with him, but our relationship with the world that we live in as well. This is super important to understand here. That's why you can't just talk about salt and light outside of the context of the Beatitudes. A conversation of salt and light is flowing from the Beatitudes. It's what the Beatitudes look like applied in real life. We have to connect that and understand that. They speak to every aspect of life. The examples that he gives is salt and light. Both things affect what they are applied to in profound ways. Both things affect what they are applied to in profound ways. The key words is applied and effect. Those are the key words. Applied and effect. Salt is intentionally applied to produce an effect. Like, you don't look at your steak, I wish that steak had a little bit of salt. And then look at the salt and be like... <laughs> you're gonna have to pick the salt up and intentionally apply it, right? You don't go into a dark room and say, I wish there was light inside here. You go to the light switch and... Or you light a candle, or, you know, if you ain't pay your electricity, or... <laughs> Or three of them. Soul is intentionally applied to produce a, an effect. Light is intentionally applied to darkness to produce an effect. As a matter of a fact, it's the effect that they have as a side effect of application that solidifies its worth. It verifies its worth. It said it really is worth this. Look. Verse 13 starts off like this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice he didn't say, you can one day become the salt. You can work hard to achieve saltiness. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He made a statement of identity. This is who you are, the salt of the earth. Let me explain that to you. He's making a, state, a statement of their identity in him. Now, in their context, this articulated so much because of how much salt was used by various, for various different things in, in everyday life. I mean, they lived near the Red Sea. They had all these salt pits. And salt meant so much and was used in so many different ways. As a matter of fact, some people were paid in salt. So when you start thinking of some of the uses of salt, you start to see how God uses the church. Back then, salt was used for healing. The church is God's agent of healing inside of the earth. He's God's agent of healing inside of the earth. And healing, when I say healing, I'm not just talking about miraculous healings, which which I believe still happen. I'm not talking about miraculous healings like from from physical ailments, but people are hurting and need healing in so many different ways. There's emotional healing, there's spiritual healing, there's soul healing. And the church is God's agent of healing inside of the earth. Salt was used to preserve. The church is God's preserving agent in the earth. Reason why? Because what we do leads into eternity, right? What we do isn't for the, the temporal. What we do leads into eternity. It's a part of eternity. Christ started the work. Now he preserves and adds onto the work through us, and then he comes and completes the work when he returns. So the stuff that we do are a part of eternity. So the things that we do apply directly to the kingdom of God because it's a reflection of a kingdom reality to be fully realized upon his return. That's all. adds flavor. If we we are intentionally engaging culture, intentionally engaging the arts, intentionally engaging society and others, then we act like salt when applied to food, bringing out the beauty, the taste, and the flavor of that food. When we engage areas like art, culture, and society, and I'm not talking about mimicking them, but displaying the true kingdom reality of them. We then, in effect, bring out the true beauty, taste, and flavor of art, culture, and society, the way it was meant to look. He goes in. he tells them, you are the salt of this earth. Then he throws out this really complex word that baffles many people, brings them to a screeching halt. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but, but, always, I got your money, but. As soon as you hear, but, your ears perk up, right? Ears perk up. But, you are the salt of the earth. But, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. Notice he didn't say, you stop being salt, but instead questioned the display of the characteristics of the salt. Because we are unintentional with the application of who we are doesn't change the fact of who we are. We are now just people who are not walking in our identity. We are like salt that doesn't heal, salt that doesn't preserve, salt that doesn't add flavor, which will be salt that I will not buy. said it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. That's why I said it's the effect that we have as a side effect of application that solidifies our worth. Now, if the church is a salt, and the salt has lost its flavor because of a lack of intentional application, then the church has lost its witness we become no longer viewed as relevant, no longer viewed as good, cast to the side, and then these politics of the kingdom that we talk about become trampled under the feet of the ideologies of men. People seeking to fill a void. My wife's mother raised 12 kids. Most of that time on her own. So when Father's Day comes around, the feel for her, the feel for the kids is like, man, Father's Day come around, I wanna celebrate you because you was a father to me. And she knows that man, I was a father to them. In my heart and in conversation, I challenged that, that thought and it's like, no, he wasn't a father to them. You was a mother trying to fill the role of a father. A mother trying to fill a void that she wasn't created to fill. So it doesn't have the impact that it should have, that it's meant to have. We have to understand the relation that I'm making this to here, right? Where you have people that are trying to fill the void of the church that they weren't created to fill so it doesn't have the impact that it's meant to have. Because they weren't created to be salt and light. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Again, a statement of identity explaining to them who you are. Let me explain this to you. Your role, your purpose, your salt, your light. So what are some of the properties of light that he's connecting to our role in this world? light gives direction, light exposes truth, exposes a reality, light enhances beauty, light draws attention to things, light reveals what's hidden. This is what he's seeing is the role of the church in the world. It beautifies things, it reveals what's hidden. It exposes the truth. In a world where people are feeling around in the darkness, looking for God in the midst of brokenness, we turn on the lights and we say he's right here. God with us. He's right here. He's not disconnected from the brokenness. He's not disconnected from the pain. We turn on the light and we say, but he's not that far away. The rest of that verse says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden that's a gift and a curse though right because the gift part is man when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing it will get noticed and, and people will, will look and connect it to God but that complex deep word that baffles the minds of many. But when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, guess what, it can't be hidden. People see, they know that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. They know that you're not in your place. They know this thing. This is why you get cast to the side. If they didn't expect something, they didn't want to cast you to the side. But because they expect something and you're not walking in it, and you're not sitting in it, you're not being it, then you become useless. You're like you don't expect a scrub to make shots. So you don't say nothing, He ain't make a shot, cool, you ain't say nothing. But you should have made that shot. Church is that city set on a hill. You think about the term, or you just set on a hill. He didn't say a church trying to build itself onto a hill, but set onto a hill. Uh This talks about the intentionality of the one that set it there, the architect that decided that that city would be on the hill. So you have to consider the motives of the one who put it there. It's like if an architect decides to build a home on a hill, he has at least two things in his mind when he decides to do that. He's thinking ahead, right? So he's thinking, one thing he's thinking about is the perspective of those on the hill, how they would look at the city. They see the city from a different perspective than everybody else that's ground level. He knows this. The church is that city on a hill. We are the ones that have that elevated vantage point. Those who can only see from ground level have a perspective of, of one whose vision is eclipsed by the magnitude of the issues at hand. While the perspective of those that can only see from the ground level that is eclipsed by the issues that are right in front of their faces, the perspective of the church, that city on the hill, we, we see from that higher vantage point. We can see from the starting point to the point at which the issues came into play. We can see the answer that is eclipsed by the issues for those that only see from ground level. We can see how the destination point that the answer brings things to. We see how things started. We see how things got jacked up and all the ripple effects of it. We see the answer that's being eclipsed by the jacked upness. And we see where that answer leads to. We see from the vantage point of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Yes. Thus, it's in our identity to shine light on the goodness of God and creation. Yes. That's in our identity. Yes. It's, it's our responsibility to shine light that exposes the harsh realities of the fall that has infected every area of life. It's our job to shine light that reveals the good news of Christ's work, Christ's redemption on the cross, and how that good news really is good news to the brokenness that people live in every single day that rears its ugly head in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. It's our calling to shine light that leads people to the hope of restoration found in Christ. If a light is going to be a point to lead you to a particular direction, then we need to know the light that we're shining leads you to a particular direction, and that's hope in Christ. The architect is also likely thinking about those that would look up and see the home on the hill. See, because that home is elevated from everywhere else, it becomes the point of reference yeah. we are that point of reference yeah. verse 15 says nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all that's in the house yeah. first Corinthians 4 and 1 reads this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God A steward is someone who has been entrusted to manage something that belongs to somebody else that's extremely important. The mysteries of God is the light of the gospel and he's entrusted us with that light. God is... Taken the church and entrusted us with his light and placed us on a hell or a nightstand, giving us this, this vantage point onto everything. There are so many movements and organizations out there that try to meet the need of the broken or respond to the issues everybody's looking for answers but when when you don't have a perspective that's from the vantage point of the gospel then that answer starts and stops with the issues and it's not comprehensive enough to handle the true magnitude of the brokenness and then when that reality sets in truth becomes overwhelming and it gives birth to hopelessness That's why the answer has to point to something that's bigger than the issue, something that's before the issues, that's during the issues and after the issues. That's why everything we say has to be moving towards that goal. This is why he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works Things that you do, your action, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All comprehensive. The one that can actually really carry the weight of everything. Our problem, we think that we're actually carrying the weight. Everything we say and everything we do needs to point to God. That's the answer, not what we're doing, not the work. It needs to point to him. The bad can come now. Everything needs to point to Christ. A part of that story. And I know we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, okay, how do we respond to the brokenness, raise our Christian flags in the air and sing, onward Christian soldier, and put an end to all the brokenness in the world? Uh, come on now. Come on, bro. But, that complex word again, but, what if we wasn't called to bring an end to the brokenness? Huh. What? What if? What if we wasn't called to bring an end to the brokenness but instead be salt and light in the midst of the brokenness and Christ himself was the end of the brokenness? What if? What if the Bible wasn't lying when he says the wheat and the tear would grow together and when he returned, he would separate? What if it was actually true when it said that? What if? In the meanwhile, what we're called to be a reflection of identity is we are salt and light, salt and light as parents, salt and light inside of our family, salt and light at our schools, salt and light at our children's schools. Sword and light at our jobs. Sort and light in our community. Sword and light from 19th Avenue and Camelback to 19th Avenue and Indian School Road. Sort and light in the injustice that we see in America and the world. Sort and light in the brokenness that we see here in America and the world. This is who we are. The question is, are we applying who we are to where we are so that the world around us can see who he is and that he is right here in the midst of it? I want to close on this. I want to close on this, this quote from Sam Storms that I believe speaks to the heart of why we don't act like who we are, why we don't act like salt and light. I want to close on that, and then I want to pray. If you could put that up. But by nature, we don't want to be the salt of the earth. We want to be the earth. We don't want to be the light of the world. It's much easier and safer to be the world. Just chewing that for a bit. Father, I thank you for how good you are, Lord. The work that you continue to do through your church, Lord. That you would speak these words to your disciples way back when, knowing that we would be speaking these words today, echoing what you were talking to them in this application here, now. That you weren't just talking to your disciples back then, but you were talking to the church throughout all times, Lord. Father, I ask that you will move deeply inside of our hearts, Lord, and break our hearts for the thing that breaks, laws, and turn our hearts towards you, Lord. Help us as we submit to you. And we are lights in the dark world. And we are salt. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.